This podcast contains content that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Cry in the Moon's Light. Seth saves the town of Marcel from the wolf pack, but the black wolf escapes. Seth is forced to hunt for him in the forest. Unable to find the black wolf, Seth meets with a carriage driver and milady along the forest road. The black wolf ambushes them, and Seth is forced to fight the black wolf one more time. He is nearly defeated, but milady uses the dagger of dark silver to strike the final blow, killing the black wolf. Their victory is short as an angry mob from Marcel is scouring the forest to kill Seth. They are unable to escape in the carriage as the black wolf has killed the lead horse Arca during the fight. The carriage driver decides to stay behind and confront the mob while Seth and my lady escape on Killian. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story, and I'll also be your narrator. And now, on with our show. Chapter 13, Sometimes Love Ends Just As It Begins. They rode hard and fast through the forest. After a while, Killian was starting to slow. Recognizing he was getting tired, Seth pulled the reins back and stopped. As Killian was catching his breath, Seth slid down his side. When he hit the ground, he fell to one knee. Lightheaded and weak, he was losing strength. Seeing this, Milady slipped off quickly to catch him before he fell on his back. Seth was hunched over. The fight had taken its toll. Blood was still coming from his wounds. They had not closed as she expected. His ability to heal wasn't working. Now she was very concerned. Why aren't you healing? I thought silver was the only thing that could harm you. None of the dark silver touched you. Breathing heavily, Seth pointed to a log that was laying on the side of the road. Killian turned his head and watched as they stumbled toward it. The pain in his side caused Seth to wince as she helped him to sit. He watched the blood beginning to trickle down his arm as he spoke. Silver and... others like me, he started. We still feel pain. We bleed and suffer, but... normally heal quick. The more powerful you are, the quicker you heal. Silver on the skin burns, but it will heal when removed. It takes our strength, but pure silver to the heart kills. Attacks from another like us. Those who have turned can hurt us. We don't heal from those wounds like we do from normal humans. Probably something to do with a curse. Maybe it's the evil... We don't usually fight amongst ourselves. As he finished, my lady wasted no time. She went over to Killian and plucked a hair from his tail. 
He took it to a small stream running alongside the road. After washing the horse's hair, she pulled a pin from her corset and washed it too. She went back to Seth and tied the hair to the pin. It wasn't exactly sterile. She would need boiling water for that. But it was the best she could do for right now. A small ray of moonlight was peeking through the forest behind Seth. She nudged his arm into the light so she could see. With his arm in the light, she began to thread the hair through the open wound. Using the horse's hair, she sewed the wound, pulling his flesh together. When it was tight, the wound closed. She tied it off and used her teeth to cut the excess thread. As the bleeding stopped, his tattoos began to give off a blue color in the moon's ray. Now she could see his flesh beginning to heal. She moved on to the next gash and closed it the same way. When she was done with that, she moved to the one on his side, then his leg, until each cut was stitched. Just as with the first, once the flesh was pulled back together and the bleeding stopped, they began to heal. Each time the healing process started, his tattoos would give off that blue color. Seth sat patiently as she stitched him up. His breath slowed as he began to relax. As he watched her tending to his injuries, his heart began to beat slower. You do good work, he said. She looked up at him and smiled. It was a weak smile and one of worry. She knew they weren't out of danger. The pack was gone and the black wolf was dead so she was safe. It was Seth who was now the one in danger, especially in his weakened state. The townsfolk believed he was responsible for the murders. Witnesses saw him over the bodies back in the alley. They did not know the truth. It was Seth, not the Hessians, that chased William out of the alley. The Hessians merely followed the trail left behind. The Black Wolf and his pack had continued to terrorize the village attempting to kill every one of them. They killed the shopkeeper and his assistant, leaving their bloodied and ripped up corpses for everyone to see. Then they howled from the darkness to create more fear and panic. Most of the villagers stuck together. They managed to find safety in the livery. Had Seth not arrived, the pack would have broken down the doors eventually. It was Seth who saved them but nobody saw that. Lord Parlamay had Barkslow and his men looking for William. Sooner or later, they were going to find William's body, naked and torn to shreds on the side of the road deep in the forest. Parlamay knew the truth, but it's hard to predict what a grieving father will do. Would he be looking for the one responsible? Looking to avenge his son's death? people would expect it. And you could expect he would never want the truth about William to be known. The Hessians were out there somewhere too. After William attacked the farmer to draw them out of the castle, they had been searching for the creature responsible. Nobody had seen or heard from them in some time. The forest was big, but they wouldn't have left the valley. Volker and his men were experienced hunters. They were not the type of men to give up. 
She looked at him wondering how they were going to make it through this night. He had suffered so much for her already, yet he would not leave her side. He protected her all of her life, even from afar, even when she didn't know it. In the last three days alone, he fought devastating battles that would have killed an ordinary man. Seth stood and reached out to her, pulling her up. He looked down at her in a way she had not seen from anyone in a long time. His eyes were soft and tender, the moon's light sparkling the blue in his irises once again. His werewolf hearing could detect her heartbeat increasing steadily like a drum. Her chest was heaving in and out as her breath picked up. There was a slow and steady rhythm. Her eyes were fixed to his. He reached out and touched her face, brushing her hair aside. Her eyes closed at the feeling of his touch. It was like an electric current running through her. It sent chills down the back of her neck. She began to feel flush, warm as he caressed her face. Her thoughts ran together in a mix of emotions she had not felt in years. It was hard to catch her breath. He leaned forward, meeting her lips with his. It was soft and tender. The kiss started slowly, then increased as he leaned forward. He pulled her closer to him with his hand. Their lips were now tightly pressed together in a long, sensual kiss. But the moment was interrupted. He pulled back suddenly, turning to look down the road behind them. She looked and listened intently but could neither hear nor see anything. Seth's chest became full, his arms drew back, and his stare intensified. He reached out for her hand as he spoke. We have to go. They're coming, he said. He took her by the hand and ran over to Killian. As he swung his leg up over the horse's back, then he reached down and pulled her up behind him. Once they were both ready... He slapped the reins, kicked the horse in the side, and Killian bolted off down the road. Killian wasted no time moving. He was running down the road in full stride. As the dust flew behind them, she looked back. A faint glow was coming in the distance. They were definitely coming. I had tried to stall them when Seth and my lady rode off on Killian's back. I turned the carriage toward Marcel. I was down to two horses now, but it was still difficult to turn a carriage around on this road. As soon as I was completely turned, the group was on me before I had a chance to move. I had the carriage stopped in the middle trying to block the road. There was a wagon being pulled by some horses. Two drivers with torches were in the front seat. A dozen men in the back also had torches along with muskets. What's going on? I asked. We're from Marcel. We just came from Castle Parlemay. Something or someone has been killing our people. So we went to the castle to get some answers, they said. I closed my eyes for a moment in disbelief. One of the men spotted William's body almost immediately. Aye, look here. Yeah. What's this then? Pointing to William as all the heads in the wagon turned, 
He wasn't really asking me, but I became instantly nervous and started to speak. When I was coming down the road, I I saw him there and stopped. You guys rolled up just as I was about to get down and take a look. I I think it's William from Castle Parlamay. Looks like he was in some kind of fight. Did you say anything? The wagon driver said. No, I I was on my way to Marcel, like I said. I found him like that. A couple of the men from the back of the wagon jumped off to take a closer look. They were kneeling beside William as they spoke. There's a hideous beast on the loose. It kills everything it finds. He's all tore up. It's the beast. Come on, let's get going. Another man spoke up. Hessians told us what man of creature this is. Some of them saw the beast back in Michelle. They're on a mission from the king to kill this thing. Hessian Colonel said he's setting a trap at the beach by the sea and we're going to help him. The driver pulled his team to the side and squeezed his wagon to go past me as the men began to climb back in. Get the hell out of the way! When I heard him say Colonel Volker was setting a trap, I had to act quickly. Wait, wait! It's not what you think! The Hessians didn't tell you everything, I yelled. The wagon stopped. Several of the men jumped out again, only this time they yanked me off my seat. They surrounded me, demanding answers. So, I proceeded to tell them what had happened. I told them William was the Black Wolf, and it was he that had killed the couple back at the alley in Marcel. Some of the men were finding it hard to believe. But as they looked at William's ripped-up body, it started to sink in. I also told them it was William and his pack that had killed the grocer and his clerk along with the others from town. A couple of the men had been hiding in the livery when the pack tried to kill them. As I told them of Seth saving them from the black wolf and the pack, they spoke up. Aye, it's true. This is the way it happened, all right. I thought you couldn't see anything from inside the barn, another man questioned. We couldn't. But when we came out, we found dead wolves near the library. No idea how they died. What else could have done that? Sure as hell wasn't him. I doubt his scrawny bones could kill anything without a musket. And how would this carriage driver know unless he's telling the truth? The man stated. They all nodded. Finally, they understood. A few of the men decided to take William's body back to Castle Parlamay to get some answers from the Lord of the Manor. I would lead the rest of the men to stop the ambush at the sea and rescue Seth and my lady. As I was convincing the men of Marcel that Seth was a hero and not a monster, Killian was carrying them out of the forest into a clearing. They continued past a short field as the road turned toward the sea. She recognized this place. He had drove off the path when they attacked her here. As they rounded a turn that took them alongside the beach, Seth suddenly pulled the reins hard. (laughs) Killian skidded to a stop throwing sand and dirt in front of him. Five men emerged on the road out of the shadows. The moon's light was bouncing off the muskets. Each man swung their musket onto his shoulder, putting Seth in their sights. Seth turned Killian back around. But the glow of torches coming from the woods was getting brighter. More men. And with the road blocked ahead, 
and a mob to the rear, Seth turned Killian onto the beach. He started to gallop south, hoping to stay just beyond the rocks and avoid the men on the road. As Killian raced on, a few more men emerged from the rocks in front. Suddenly, a shot rang out. Killian dropped on his side, dumping Seth and my lady into the sand. As Seth hit the ground, he was already starting the change. By the time he stood back up, he had completely converted. His towering frame stood over Killian's body. He looked down at the dead horse and let out a menacing growl. He bore his teeth violently at the men who shot him. The men all took a step back. None of them had ever seen anything like him before. Fear consumed him as their eyes took to his immense size. His tattoos were glowing that strange blue again. Saliva dripped from his mouth as his eyes showed hatred for killing the horse. All the muscles in his body were tense and ready for a fight. Even wounded, a fierce creature to behold. My lady got to her feet and ran in front of Seth. The men had reloaded, raised their muskets and intended to fire again. She put herself between Seth and the men. His large arms curled around her as he began to pull her to the side, but she wiggled herself out of his grip and remained in front of him. She knew they wouldn't fire with her in the way. Maybe he could get away if she stood between them, but there was nowhere to go. Cut off from any escape in all directions, they were also out of time as men were closing in from everywhere. The men regained their composure and put Seth back in their sights. They began to advance slowly. Seth became more agitated and a low grumble began to emanate from his throat. They were in a tight spot, but she still believed they could get out until she saw him. Colonel Volker stepped out from behind a big rock. The moment Seth saw him, his mouth opened and he let out a hideous hiss. Volker had been waiting in ambush the entire time. He had positioned men all over, anticipating the creature's entrance onto the beach, hoping the mobs of torch-wielding villagers would drive him right into the trap. There was a slight grin on his face. He had the beast right where he wanted him. Volker was finally going to get his revenge and kill the creature of his nightmares. The colonel reached down and pulled a silver musket ball from his vest pocket. That grin still on his face. He never took his eyes off of the beast while he loaded the musket. Seth's eyes got wide when he saw the flash of silver. His snarl grew larger, defiant. He reached out and slid my lady around to his back, out of the line of fire. He knew the Hessians did not care if she was there. Volker would kill anyone that got in the way. My lady tried to move back in front, but this time, Seth kept her back. Finally, she grabbed him by the arm and tried to pull him away, but he would not budge. Now he had to stand in front of my lady to protect her. I had just cleared the forest and made the turn when I saw them. Seth and my lady standing their ground in the sand. I pulled the team to a stop and saw Volker loading the musket. The wagon from her cell was right behind me. The men jumped out and they filtered around the carriage to see what was happening. Just like me, they could see Volker's standoff with the beast. A 
few of the Hessian soldiers had assembled behind Volker, and they weren't moving. They were waiting for their leader to take his shot. Seth made himself as big as possible to shield her from any fire. Some other townsfolk were coming up the beach at him from the other side. These were the men of Marcel that had tried to follow after him and the Black Wolf after the murders in the alley. The townsfolk around me realized what was about to happen. They started to move forward, yelling for Volker to stop. They were trying to catch the attention of the other men from Marcel, but they were too late. As the men and I watched, Volker took aim, lining up Seth for a kill. He was just about to pull the trigger when his shot was interrupted. Everyone, including Seth, looked up the road. A white horse was galloping down the northern road of the forest. It was carrying Lord Parlamay. Some of his men were on horseback just behind him, keeping pace. Barkslow with them. A moment later, Seth turned calmly back to Volker. Colonel Volker would not be deterred. He shrugged off the distractions, took aim, and fired. I was still in the driver's seat of the carriage. After the shot rang out, everything went silent. There seemed to be no sound. I couldn't hear the report of the musket. I couldn't hear the sound of Lord Parlamay yelling as his horse skidded to a stop at the side of the road. My vision changed. I could now see every detail as if in slow motion. I had seen Volker pull the trigger. Then I saw the hammer of the musket striking the flint. There was flash from the ignition of the powder. Smoke from the shot billowed out the front of the muzzle. I watched the bullet travel out of Volker's musket as it worked its way towards Seth. I could see the hole it made through the smoke. The waves crashing in the background made the wake of the bullet more visible. Then I saw the moment it entered his body, the silver ball piercing his chest, blood spurting out in every direction, flesh that imploded with impact, tearing a big hole through him. Then there was the slow motion of the Hessian soldiers and some of the Marcel men all taking aim. Seth forcefully pushing my lady away, knocking her to the ground. They all fired together. The bullets of all the muskets striking him moments after Volker's. Everything missed my lady as he had shoved her just in time. She covered her head as she hit the ground. When the volley of bullets was over, she turned to witness the terrifying sight. His body was peppered with musket balls, each of them ripping through his flesh. The impacts jolted him with every strike. When they were done, Seth fell to his knees without a sound. While nothing normal could have survived being struck by all those musket balls, the bullets from the men weren't the problem. Volker's silver musket ball was the only one that mattered. It had hit the mighty beast square in the chest and made its way to his heart. I saw the air rush out of his lungs and escape captured by the moonlight as he fell. On his knees, his body reeled for a moment. Then he fell back. The impact spewed sand out all sides as he hit the ground. My lady's mouth was screaming no. But I couldn't hear anything. There was still no sound. 
She scrambled on all fours to his side. I could see her mouth open again as she began to scream. But there was no sound. Tears streamed from her eyes, soaking his fur. With a trembling hand, she reached out and touched where Volker's bullet had entered his chest. There were traces of silver around the entry wound. A trail through his thick fur. His eyes met hers. He reached out and touched her cheek. She pressed his hand to her face. She could feel him changing as he was returning to human form. The change happened quick. Within seconds, Seth was back to his human form. As a man, the extent of his injuries were more pronounced. Instead of the bullet holes rapidly closing, they remained open, and there were dozens of holes all over his body. The worst was Volker's shot to the heart. Blood flowed out in streams running down his sides. There were ribbons of silver mixed in. By this time, I had jumped down from the carriage and ran to them. The townsfolk ran with me. We're standing around watching as he lay dying. I don't know if the others noticed, because nobody ever spoke of it. His tattoos began to glow that dark indigo blue again. I saw his lips move as he spoke to her. She leaned in and put her ear to his mouth. When she leaned back, I saw her nod to him as his eyes closed. His arm dropped to his side and the blue glow from the tattoos faded to black as the last of his life force left his body. Still holding his hand, she covered her face and screamed at the top of her lungs. This was when I remember the sound returning. It was slow at first, but it was her screams that brought it back. The screams of a woman who had just watched the love of her life shot to death as he protected her one last time. Volker slung the musket over his shoulder and had walked up the beach to where they were, his men flanking on either side. By the time he got there, the townsfolk of Marcel and I were standing around the body. Lord Parlamay and Barkslow made their way there too. I pushed past a bunch of men and fell to my knees in the sand beside her. She took her hands down and looked over at me. The pain in her eyes was unbearable to see. I looked up at the townsfolk and saw Volker standing among them. His grin was gone. The look on his face was not what I expected. He may have felt justified killing the creature, but as he looked at the man lying dead on the beach, that was something else. Without a word, he turned and walked out from the group, his men right behind him. There was no celebration, no smiling, no sense of accomplishment, no pride for what they had just done. They quietly got on their horses and rode away. As we watched them leave, Lord Parlamay put a kind hand on my lady's shoulder. I'm sorry, he said softly. This was not meant to bite. I didn't say anything, but resentment began to swell up inside. I pushed past Parlamay 
to help get her on her feet. Together, we walked from the crowd. The townsfolk moved aside as we came through. Lord Parlamay ordered his men to place Seth's body in one of the wagons. He told them to take the body to the abandoned church, deep in the forest. As they were loading him into the wagon, my lady and I reached the carriage. She looked back at him one last time. Distraught, she fell to her knees with the door open. Lord Parlamay came over and tried to comfort her. My lady composed herself and told him we would be escorting Seth's body back to the church. She insisted he be buried this night. Lord Parlamay nodded his agreement. After Seth was placed in the wagon, a long funeral procession made its way through the forest. It slowly moved through the valley at the foothills of Castle Parlamay, and then back into the forest to find the hidden road. Our carriage followed directly behind what was now the funeral wagon. The people of Marcel walked behind or beside. They carried torches to light the way as the moon had disappeared. This made the night extra dark. A slight fog made its way through the valley as we were just about to the forest. It took a little time, but we finally found the hidden road. We had reached the church several hours later. My lady stepped out of the carriage and told Lord Parlamay she wanted a large funeral pyre erected to honor him. What about the forest? We risk burning all of it down, Lord Parlamay stated. There's a small opening next to the cemetery. It will be fine there, she said sadly. As men were ordered to fell trees and gather kindling, Seth's body was taken into the church where it was cleaned by several women. They cleaned the blood from his body along with the wounds. Then they put fresh clothes on him so he would look his best. Some of the women were from Marcel, others from the village at the foothills of Castle Parlamay. Riders had gone to both, carrying the news of his death and his heroics. The men constructed a huge pyre high off the ground. Leftover oil from the church was spread across the base. A wooden ramp was erected to allow for all to pay their respects. Seth's body was then carried from the church by Lord Parlamay, Barkslow, myself, and a few others. He was placed at the top of the pyre under the stars. The clothes put on him by the funeral ladies was found in the basement of the church. They were older clothes of his he had stashed there ages ago. We each took a turn walking past him to say a prayer for his soul and ours. Some carried night flowers and placed them around his body. Others carried candles. My lady was the last. Placed the dagger he had given her into his hand. The black magic was gone now. It had been released from the silver into the black wolf when she killed him. She folded Seth's arms across his body so the dagger would rest on his chest. She made sure the inscription faced the sky. Then she leaned in and kissed his cheek. I couldn't hear what she was saying, 
but I could read her lips. She whispered to him, I love you. Tears fell from her cheeks as she went down the ramp of the pyre. She walked over to Lord Parlamy and took a torch from his hand. Without speaking, she walked back about to light the pyre when she stopped. Just beyond the cemetery, she saw something unexpected. We all saw what she was looking at up the hill. Coming over the crest was a long caravan of wagons. It was the travelers. They had come. Dozens of wagons. Some purple, green, yellow, red, blue. Ornately decorated in intricate wood carvings and gold lacing. They were all making their way down the hidden road toward us. The first wagon had two painted ponies pulling it along. They were being directed by two men sitting on the front porch. A younger man holding the reins and an older gray-haired man sitting beside him. These were the men who rescued Seth, his brother and father. The next wagon was red with gold trim. An old woman was steering two gray spotted ponies as they pulled. This was the Jabarni, the medicine woman who had healed him. The caravan had arrived to pay their respects. They were all there. The tattoo artist, the king, the dancing women, and the card reader. And there were more that followed behind. When they reached the bottom of the hill, the caravan stopped. Everyone stepped down and walked to the pyre. The Jabarni eyed up my lady as she approached. We have come to honor him. You must be the one he loved, the Jabarni said to my lady. He would take no other. He vowed to protect you always. My lady never said a word. She leaned down and gave the Jabarni a warm hug. As she did, I saw the Jabarni whisper something in my lady's ear. My lady pulled back and nodded. The Jabarni then joined the rest of the travelers who were standing together as a group. The men took off their hats as most of the women were sobbing. Everyone bowed their heads and said a prayer. My lady walked back to the pyre with a torch and lit the oil at the base. She stepped back as the fire caught quickly. In seconds, the entire structure was consumed. Flames stretched high in the night sky. None of the flames touched any of the trees. It was as if they were guided by some magical force. As the Jabarni closed her eyes, I saw a faint hint of blue on the edges of the flames. Slowly, a few at a time, the townsfolk departed to go back to their homes. After they left, Lord Parlamay and Barkslow mounted their horses. In a slow and methodical way, they rode up over the hill so they could return to the castle. The travelers got back in their wagons and began to depart the same way they came, slowly taking their wagons back over the hidden road to disappear somewhere in the forest again. All but the Jabarni, who hung back, last in line. As the embers faded and the dawn approached, my lady went back into the church. The Jabarni stopped her wagon. The caravan continued without her. 
it didn't take long until they were gone. The Jabarni got down from her wagon and walked into the church. She found my lady sitting in the first pew of the sanctuary. Her eyes were on the cross at the altar. The Jabarni sat in the pew beside her. We loved him too, you know. I wish he could have remained with us. But it was not meant to be. The universe provides balance to us all. Even to him. Black Wolf could not exist without him. And he could not go on without the Black Wolf. The Jabarni said. My lady looked at her with tear-filled eyes. Do you mean that if I had not killed the Black Wolf, Seth would still be alive? No, child, the Jabarni started. None of us knows what fate has in store. The Black Wolf had to die. He brought chaos to the world. To be in his shadow is bad luck. That is something to avoid. But the one we both loved, he was out of balance too. He was never meant to be part wolf, yet the curse found its way to him anyhow. He loved you. He loved you more than any other. He would serve anyone who needed him. It was his nature. The goodness in him trying to balance the evil cast upon him. His destiny changed when he saved you. The evil of the Black Wolf spilled to him. This put him out of balance. Black magic has a way of doing this. It is like an infection. Until the infection is purged from the body, it cannot heal. Dark silver is man's attempt to restore balance. Using something pure like silver, then infusing it with all the wickedness of man to defeat evil. My lady looked at her. Does it work? The Jabarni smiled back. You used it to kill the Black Wolf. He told you of the curse, and he gave you the blade. You tell me, child. The Jabarni looked up at the cross, then back at my lady. But now you must finish making him whole again. Put things back in balance for him. That is your role. Milady looked at the Jabarni. What am I to do? You must tell him, child, said the Jabarni. Milady looked at her skeptically. How can I? He's dead. The Jabarni smiled as she stood. She reached down and kissed my lady's forehead. Death is but another plane of existence. It is a beginning, not an end. But the universe demands balance. He cannot truly rest until he has balance. Give that to him. Love him as he loved you. After a while, I watched the Jabarni come out of the church. She got in her wagon and drove the horses up the hill. The wagon disappeared out of sight in the same direction as the caravan. When my lady finally came out of the church, she was carrying a satchel the Jabarni had given her. 
She walked over to what remained of the funeral pyre and stooped down near the ashes. But I couldn't see what she was doing. A few minutes later, she walked over to the carriage and opened the door. She looked at me for a moment. There was no smile, nothing but misery in her eyes. She spoke softly. It's time to go. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. Original music by Joseph McDade. You can support the show by making a donation to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Our creative spotlight is Emily's World of Design is a custom and pre-made book cover design service. Everything from ebooks to paperback to dust jackets and many more. When somebody asks Emily... What does she really love to do? She tells them she loves to create. With a master's in architecture, she likes to make art in her free time, and she is doing work as a graphic designer. If you are interested in having Emily take your project to the next level, you can find her on Twitter or Instagram at Emily's World of Design. In the next chapter, After the Funeral, Milady and the carriage driver stay the night at Castle Parlemay. They depart the next day for Trevor Doe, as the carriage driver is determined to complete his mission and deliver Milady safely to her grandmother's house. I hope you join me next time for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.